We believe. So what? What good is belief if it is not applicable to transforming life here and now? The truth is, our faith was never meant to be passive. We're called to have a faith that actually transforms us. So what does it look like to have a faith that builds strength through suffering? A faith that transforms us to be people who live with love in action. A faith that leads to reconciled relationships. A faith that speaks words that heal. A faith that invites us to be people who pray powerfully and experience what only God can do. We don't just want to believe. We want a faith that works. Good morning, Willow. Oh, this is fantastic. It is a pleasure and an honor for me to be here as I was introduced. My name is Thomas Anderson Jr. and I serve uh, as the Chicago campus pastor. And so we're family, amen. Listen, we are, we are brothers and sisters and I'm excited to be here and worship with you. For all those online, we are thrilled you're tuning in and a special shout out to the Chicago campus. Uh, by the way, they didn't know I was gonna be here today. I told them I'm preaching, didn't tell them where. And so, surprise, uh, so glad though that y'all are faithful down there as well. Listen, it's an honor for me to be a part of the James series where we're talking about a faith that works. And if I can level with you for a moment, if I can just, like I said, we're family, right? So I, if I can just be honest and vulnerable, when I look around this world, I can tell you what, I'm saddened, I'm burdened, sometimes I'm frustrated, I'm angry. And there's a whole bunch of other emotions I can list, but I think you get it. When I look around of everything that's going on and you can name what you like, I just see brokenness. I see hurting people. You don't have to raise your hands, but if you're sitting here today and you're going, I might be a little hurting. I'm also a little broken. You, you recognize what I'm talking about. And so to me, this series is so fitting because we're talking about a faith that works. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you about our world. It's in desperate need of a real, authentic faith. It's no time to play church. Amen, somebody. It's no time to play church, but we now need to be the church. And that doesn't mean we have never been the church. Don't hear that. But if you confuse, we need to be the church. So listen. In my time with you, I want to jump into the book of James. And as you saw, I can get a little loud. So for this first row, I apologize. If it flies at you, I've tested. We're all good. Okay, you're going to be all right. Amen. <laughs> that bumper we just watched, and you saw it last week when Megan was up, it talked about a faith that transforms us into people who live with love and action. Can you think about that for a moment? Wherever you are, whether you're brand new in your faith journey, maybe you're not even sure where you are in your faith journey, or you've been around the campfire for a while, could you just imagine for a moment what would it look like in your current life for your faith to be mobilized into love a bit more? And, and don't go too 
the things you could do. We, we, we like lists, right? We like to check them off. Here's what I could do. Here. But just what would that do to you? How would that transform your neighborhood, the neighbors you're around, the cul-de-sac you might live in, the apartment building you live in? Like, how would that drastically change if your faith worked not just for you, but for those around you? See, I believe this is what James is going to get at as he's talking about faith. And our title, series title is A Faith That Works. But here's what I want to tell you. And if you remember nothing else from me, remember this one thing. A faith that works is a living faith. I want to say that again. A faith that works is a living faith. And so what that means is we've got to talk about what faith is. And if there's a living faith, that means there's a dead faith. And so my prayer is by the time we're done here, you'll be able to recognize the difference and begin to take a next step in having a living faith. Faith that works as a living faith. The first thing we're going to see that a living faith is something you can see. A living faith is something visible. I'd even go as far as say it's something tangible. But I can flap my jaws for 30 minutes, but I I like the Bible. I'm passionate about the Word of God. So let's go to the text here. James in chapter 2, verse 14 He starts off by saying, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Let me pause right there. I love this question. What good is it if you claim to have faith but have no deeds? See, all of us have faith in something. You're sitting right now having faith that chair is holding you up. And thank God it is. You had faith that your car would get you here this morning or that the transportation in Chicago would get you to church. You have faith in a number of things. Faith is really just a word to describe devotion or belief in something. And the reality is we believe in a lot of things. But when we start talking about our faith in terms of God, that's where things can change. See, now we're putting our devotion, our fidelity, our belief into someone else. We are surrendering control of our lives and saying, God, we trust you. Have your way. But see, that type of faith, it's no good if we just say it. You know folks like that. Maybe it's the the neighbor that talks about having a good grill game, but you've never seen them cook anything. And by the way, if that's the person next to you, don't nudge him. Let let them live. Maybe it's the person that says, man, I I bake the best scones. And you like, well, when I'm going to get one? And you just never see it. We do it all the time. We, We say a whole lot, but we're not always doing a whole lot. I know for me, early in my, my years, I would watch my family always talk about things, and I would wonder, when are they going to get to it? The beautiful thing is, I had an example of my grandmother who modeled for me loving people in a way that I couldn't fathom. And I wasn't a Christian at this time. I was watching my grandmother love on individuals, take individuals in, bless individuals, because whatever she believed, she wanted to live. So James tells us, what good is it then? Can that faith save them? If someone claims to have faith but no deeds, James is going to call this a dead faith. Now, let's take a time out for a moment. 
Okay, I call it a theological timeout. If you, if you are familiar with the Bible and you've read anything from the Apostle Paul, especially in the book of Romans, you know he says you're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And then we get to James sometimes, we go, well, wait a minute, it sounds like James is saying something different. I just want to take a time out and just say, take a deep breath, everything is fine in the Bible. God didn't confuse himself. What Paul is talking about is for those who don't know Jesus yet. And what James is talking about is to the church who already knows Jesus. See, by the way, there's higher standards for the church. For those who don't know Jesus yet, listen, we we got some things to talk about, but it's just you getting right with God and basically knowing that he loves you. But for those who have said yes to Jesus, the church, we have to live what we believe. And so there's just a, a higher standard for this room, for the online crowd, for the Chicago. This is a higher standard for these believers. There's an author by the name of Aubrey Malfers, and when he studies culture, he, and, and he studies church culture, he talks about how the church and its culture is behavior expressed, values driven, and belief based. What you talking about, preacher? What he's saying is, I should be able to know what you believe by watching how you live. This side of the room's not talking to me. Let me come on this side of the room. Maybe, maybe y'all talking to me. I should be able to know what you believe based on how you live. Now, that's not blanket. Amen, somebody. Thank you. Now, that's not blanket or cross. Like, I want to be sensitive. There's nuances and all of this. But when we talk about our faith, our devotion to Jesus, we should be able to know what we're for by how we live. So I could, I could say, man, I am for a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-racial church. But if I don't do the things to welcome people in, guess what? I'm not for it. It's dead, James will say. I could say, man, I believe in the next generation and I don't want to elevate kids and I want to see them lifted up. But if I always treat them like they're the secondary church, not like they are the church, it's not real. I don't believe it. And so we see if the, our culture is behavior expressed, values driven, and belief based, we have to start saying what do we actually believe and how do we live it out? We're going to flesh this out together. By the way, this is exactly what James is getting at. I want to finish on verse 15. He says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Uh, let, me, let me say it this way. You come on down for a Cubs game or Sox game, you see some folks who look in need. I'm not saying empty out every penny you have to every person you see, but the question does start to wrestle with us, and my wife and I wrestle with this often. The question does wrestle with us, what are we doing to ensure our city is not just rid of people but actually empowers individuals who suffer with homelessness? Let's not label them, but how do we encourage them? See, what James was dealing with in his church is favoritism. 
The wealthy folks, the nice-looking folks, the well-dressed folks come in. They, they, they get taken care of. They get escorted. They're VIPs. And then you had the, the, the commoners who would come in and, well, you just go sit wherever. It's like you walk into church here and the hospitality team says, no, I'm not going to take you. You do whatever you need. We're not going to greet you. We're going to greet the person that looks like they got some money. What good is it? That's not a living faith. That's not a faith that works for anybody, James says. In fact, it's a dead faith. We dishonor people when we do not see them as created in the image of God and we don't treat them that way. When we choose to elevate certain people because of how they look or what they can do for us. In fact, James makes it very clear, especially for his church when he's writing, that it's the mistreatment of the poor that is problematic for them. But we can expand that in our day because if I'm honest with you, it's not just the poor sometimes I have these thoughts with or I've felt like we're not worthy of my time or effort. There have been a number of individuals I've encountered that I go, I, uh, I, you know, I got something else better to do. I got somewhere more important to be. James is reminding us about these works of mercy. Just because people have a need doesn't mean we just hit them with a I bless you and walk away. No, 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 no. Maybe God wants to use you to take care of that need. You are the church, by the way. We are the church, by the way. This wraps into that story I started with my grandmother. We call her Nana, by the way. Some of my fondest memories are watching my Nana during holidays. Now, she did this throughout the year as well, but holidays were no joke. You get around black folk in Thanksgiving, listen, we cooking up a storm, okay? So we had food galore. But I would watch my Nana and my, my, my grandmother, she had six children. They would come by. So I, as, a, as a young aspiring cook back then, I was going, okay, I know you're cooking for six people. This was food for like 15, 20 people. I'd never seen this much. Every year we do it. And what I learned as I got older was my Nana was making food for people in our building who didn't have someone to be with, for people in the neighborhood. She would pull people off the street. Now, at the time, I thought they were just like random people. As I got older, I realized she built relationships with them. During the week, she's asking their name. She's seeing how they're doing my grandmother was known when I was younger as a prayer warrior, but as I got older, the generosity she displayed. And I remember asking her, like, Nana, what, why do you do this? You don't have a lot of money. We didn't grow up with a lot of money, folks. I grew up in New York City, South Bronx. We didn't have a lot. I said, Nana, why? You, you could be buying me some more things. I got no amens on that one. They left me by myself there. I, you, you could be taking, you know, you could be blessing me. Why am I, I just remember she would look at me and with all manner of conviction and her little five foot nothing body, she just said, listen, the Lord has blessed me, so I bless others. The Lord has blessed me, so I bless others. And I wasn't a, a Christian at the time, and so I was like, man, what, what is that? Like that? You should be, you could be saved. And I, my brain was all over the places, but now I get it. She recognized what she had was just to serve other people. Her faith was a living faith. It was a faith that worked. Let me keep moving so I can get out your way. Uh, a faith that works, as I said, is a living 
faith, is a living faith. Look at verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. It's dead. If faith is not accompanied by action, it's dead. Can you imagine my beautiful bride of 12 years is sitting here with me today? Can you imagine if I run around saying things like, oh, I love her and she's beautiful and she's awesome and yet I never do anything to show her that? Women, don't you, wives, leave, leave the man alone. He's all right. Leave him alone today. But think about it. James knew this. He said, if you believe, and I don't see a behavior expressing the belief, I'm, 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 I'm not sure it's alive. Do me a favor. Put, your, put, your, put your, your finger on your pulse here and just say, am I alive? Just say that. Am I alive? Look at your neighbor if you're in a room in Chicago. Look at your neighbor. If you're online, text somebody. and text. Are you alive? Are you alive? Because, because sometimes I think we think we're alive. We think our faith is living. We think our faith is working because we posted something online and we, we voted away or we did a thing. But in reality, James, if, if he was looking at us today, he'd go, is that thing alive? Is that on life support? What's going on with that thing? A faith that works is a living faith. And I told you, it's got to be something you can see. Our faith has to be something this world can see and know that they're loved by God. But that's, that's not the only thing that a living faith is. It's absolutely vital to understand James's argument here that works aren't to be added to faith, but that genuine faith includes works. So that means belief is just step one. Belief is always step one. Belief is a must, but it's the first step. Let's look at verse 18 here. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And James says, I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Can I pause there for a moment? I love Bible writers. Like if you just read your Bible, some of the stuff they say is just wild. I love it. James just told the church, people who believe in the true and living God, he said, oh, you believe in God? That's nice. So does the enemy. By the way, he's not downplaying their faith. What he's saying is what makes you different than them? There are a lot of people who believe in God. There's not a lot of people who live for God. You, you see the difference? There's a lot of people who will say, oh, I know there's an existence of a God. There's not as many people who want to stand up and say, I am going to live for that God. James is wrestling with this congregation going, which one will you be? The ones who acknowledge and shudder or the ones who go, I surrender. James is getting heavy with them. And then he turns around in 20 and says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he's going to give some examples here. But before I jump into those, and you don't have to turn to this, but in James 1, he says this in verse 22. He talks about not just listening to the word, but being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word and being doers of the word. There's something special when you believe in something to the fact you're willing to change your life over it. You're willing to give money. You're willing to give time and energy. There's something special when you believe and go, man, I may not have all the details worked out, but I am ready 
to go. I'm going to try and give it my all. I may not have all the answers, but I am going to trust. That's the core essence of belief and faith, trusting. So if I said belief is always the first step, I'd have to ask you, in whom do you believe, church? Who's the God that you serve? Now, for my brothers and sisters, my friends that are here and online, that, that you're saying, man, I'm, I'm, I'm new in this game, and I'm not sure of the journey that, that I'm on yet. I want you just to wrestle with that fact. What would it take for me to believe in a God that's all-loving and all-powerful and has a will for my life that knows best for me? For those of you who said yes, what does that motivate you to do? How does that motivate you to act? And by the way, don't hear this as a prophetic condemnation, Willow. We are a generous church. You have blessed so many people. So do not walk away going, man, that man said I do nothing. What I do want you to walk away to go, is my faith a faith that works? Is it a living faith? See, what James is going to do next If a faith that works is a living faith, and I told you it's something that you see, that belief in a living faith is, is always step one, what you're going to see now is that a living faith is going to seem risky. A living faith is going to seem risky. What do you mean by that? You, it's going to cost you something. A living faith is going to cost you something. How can James demand that Christians possess both faith and works? How can James say these things? Because he recognizes once again that if you really believe, it causes you to act. But this kind of faith is risky because it means you're going to trust in ways maybe you haven't before. You're going to surrender in ways maybe that's been hard in the past. Demons will respond to truths of God by disobedience. Believers respond by acceptance and obedience. But it's risky. It's going to cost you something. By the way, as I talk about it, it's going to cost you something. I want to make a note. You having a faith that works, you operating out of a living faith doesn't demand you to be perfect. Look at your neighbor real quick and just say, you don't have to be perfect. Those online, text somebody again. You don't have to be perfect. Here's the reality. And the great philosopher Lecrae said this. Don't sleep on him now. He said, crooked sticks draw straight lines too. Crooked sticks draw straight lines too. See, when we talk about faith in works, I don't want you to think you got to do some grandiose, some bigger than life. No, no, no. I just want you to see with spiritual eyes. I want you to walk home later or get back home and look around and go, okay, Lord, what would you have me do? And leave the question like that. Okay, God, What's next on the agenda? Where would you have me love and operate and serve and bless? So when people see me, they don't see me. They see you. See, this is the beauty of the stories that James gives us in both Abraham and Rahab. In verse 20, he gives us Abraham. Excuse me, not verse 20, 21. 
It says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did, offering his son Isaac on the altar? Real quick, I don't have a lot of time to give you the whole story, but if you're unfamiliar with it, Abraham, super seasoned in life. You thought I was going to say the other word. Not old. No, we don't call him old. Super seasoned in life. His wife, even more seasoned in life. They don't have a kid. God promises them a child. His wife is so seasoned, she laughs and goes, yeah, right. Not happening. God says, oh, you think so? Watch this. Abraham is blessed with a child of promise, and then God turns around and says, all right, now sacrifice him. Time out. That's a change to the plan. But check this out. Guess what Abraham does? He prepares to sacrifice his son. By the way, Abraham is not a straight stick. He lied. He sleeps with his maidservant to get her pregnant. And then when they did that, they got mad at her, and it was their idea. You see how broken people can be? We come up with heinous ideas, and then we execute them, and then we get mad we did them. And yet God is so faithful that he still decided to bless not just Abraham and his family, but even her family. And he gets recorded and mentioned because what? Because he still was willing to be obedient. Crooked sticks draw straight lines too. A living faith is going to seem risky though. Because God may ask you to take what you love and see if you're willing to surrender that to him. By the way, just to close that story out, Abraham does not have to sacrifice his son. Don't want you to think God is into that. That's not what, what, he, what he's about. Abraham does not have to sacrifice his son, but God did test his level of obedience. Because God knew even then, and this is in the book of Genesis, that folks say a whole lot and not always do a whole lot. We see the same true with Rahab. I'm going to jump down a few verses here. We see the same true with Rahab in verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Story real short. Israel sends spies to a particular land. They get when the spies are coming. They send Rahab out, the prostitute. I want you to go up. You Listen, go do your thing. Get them all turned around. But she shows up, and the beauty of this story is she recognizes the God that they serve, and she surrenders. She risked her whole life. Because if she's caught and found out, she's killed in the story. And yet she risked her life because she knew who the true and living God was just by the interaction from God's people. In fact, and you don't have to go there, but this is in Joshua 2. In fact, she says, we've heard of God's great works all through the lands. What are you saying, preacher? When your faith is working for the community, they hear how good God is. When your faith is on display, they will hear of how loving God is. When your faith is active and it's a little risky for you, they will hear about God in such a way that he opens the door. This kind of faith, this kind of faith, a faith that works, a living faith, will impact lives all around us. We don't do it for our own glory 
but because we know that God has a plan A and it is the folks in this room, the folks in Chicago, Crystal Lake, Huntley. It is the church, all of our campuses, all of the churches who truly believe in the risen Savior of Jesus. That is plan A. And although we are broken people who continually need to be restored by a good God, he calls us to demonstrate a faith that works. He calls us to love hurting people. A living faith finds itself acting out on what is believed in the heart. It's always growing. It's always strengthening. It's always reassuring its foundation. So what about you? What about you? By the way, I want you to know I am on this journey and had an an amazing wreckage on this journey of developing a faith that works. It was 11 years ago, and I'll share this story, ask some questions, and I'll get out your hair. It was 11 years ago that I sat in this room. Now, those online, you're not going to see where I'm pointing, but those in the room, I'm sitting right over here behind this, this, this production equipment. 11 years ago, I somehow got entered into a K-Love contest. By the way, I didn't even know K-Love was a radio station then. That's how little I listen to radio. A friend of mine who came to Christ nominated me saying that I was her pastor. I just just said some things about God. I can't even tell you what I said. I can't tell you what passage I went to. I can't tell how long we talked. I just, I was obedient, I guess. I don't even remember the circumstance, but she did. She did. So she nominated me. I won this K-Love contest, and they flew me out for Global Leadership Summit. I hadn't heard of Willow Creek. I'd never been to the Chicago area. I was a New Yorker, so I'd never desired to. You know, we're a little stuffy over there. That's just, that's, don't hold that against me. I was pastoring already. I was in seminary. I was, I was doing pretty good. I was married. I was, I was doing pretty good, so I thought. And I sat right here, and someone got up to speak, and they started talking about believing in God in such a way, and what does your life show for it? And I realized that as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel who was preaching 30 times, I mean, doing all the pastor things, I realized my faith wasn't working for me. It's working against me. I was stuck up. I was stubborn, opinionated, one of those holier-than-thou people. You, you couldn't tell it, but my heart was there. And I sat in the stands weeping. My wife remembers. She looked over at me. What's wrong with you? Never seen him cry like that. You hurt yourself? I'm weeping because at that moment I realized by God's grace I had gotten where I was, but my faith wasn't a living faith. It wasn't working for me. And I had to make a risky commitment that day. Lord, I got to turn this around. I have to be obedient. I wasn't sinful in that like I was hurting people, but I wasn't obedient in that I was letting the faith do the job, that I was pointing people appropriately by my actions. It was that that day and the weeks to come and the years to come that my wife and I decided we transitioned the way our family works, the way generosity works, the way we love, the way we give, the way we invite people in, what we do for our neighbors. And my wife, and I'll brag on her and I'll get out your hair, my wife does this even better than me. We moved to the apartment building we're in right now, and she got everybody on our floor a gift. Isn't it supposed to be when you move in, they give you something? 
That's what, that's what I thought. I said, isn't that the other way around? But the way her heart's wired, she says, no, no, I need them to know that they're loved. What does that look like for you? I, I, I got I to go. But what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to see people and say, God, I have this deep belief in you and I wanted to work on their behalf so they see you. What about those who, maybe you're here going, I don't, I don't even have belief yet. I don't even have faith yet. There's no time like now to inquire. There's no time like now to say, tell me about this, Jesus. What is this? What, 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 is it, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because the reality is we serve a God that is all-powerful and all-loving and created you for good works, loves you so much. And we just want you to experience that love. He paid a debt he didn't owe. He died for our sins so that we would have eternal life. But it's risky. Why is it risky? Because you have to believe. Because you have to believe. The rest of you who are sitting here and you said, I've been around the fire for a while. I don't care if you have to cross your lawn or cross the hall in your apartment building. I want you to begin thinking, what would it look like for my faith to work in such a way that people will sense and see and experience the love of God? What would it look like for me to have a living faith, not a dead one? Not one that says a whole lot but doesn't do a whole lot, but one that truly, truly inspires others to look to Jesus. Can I pray for us to that end? When service is done, those who are interested in Jesus will have pastors here. For those who want to chat more, we've got teams ready, but, but don't let the moment pass you by to reflect on my faith and what the next step would look like groups, serving, options are out there. We just need your faith to have some feet. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for your word because it's you speaking to us every time we open it up. And Father, we need to hear from you. God, I thank you so much for James and that he challenges us to have a faith that actually works, that actually blesses people, that actually moves and inspires So if we say we love you and love people and want to change the world, do we live like it, God? That's what you're asking us. And I know the answer is going to be an overwhelming yes. So, Father, I pray that you strengthen everyone under the sound of my voice. You help guard their hearts. You help quiet their minds. And would you speak to them only like you can, helping us to figure out no matter where we are in life, we can have a faith that works. We can have a living faith that inspires people to come to you. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to worship together. We love you. We thank you. And we ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.